Are you looking for alternative investments and tangible assets that help you build and protect your wealth while empowering your financial future? Look no further than Eckerd Enterprises. With over 37 years of experience in the industry, Eckerd Enterprises is your trusted partner in the world of alternative investments and asset management. They have a track record of success with more than 1,300 investors who are on board and over 700 million in capital invested in tangible assets. Their specialty lies in offering immediate cash flow opportunities through mineral rights investments so that you don't have to wait decades to see your investments pay off. Their unique AML approach, born from decades of experience, focuses on aggregating, maturing, and liquidating assets strategically to maximize return. Join Eckerd Enterprises. Visit EckerdEnterprises.com today to begin your journey toward building and protecting your financial future. Hey everyone, hope you're having a great day. There's a lot going on in the news lately. In particular, of late, it's been the Russian and Ukraine war. And so today I was planning to talk about how that's affecting things. Maybe talk about some of the potential future things that might happen as a result of it. Hopefully give you some things to think about in relation to how this translates to our situation here in the United States. We'll talk through that today and jump into it right now. Okay, so before I get into what's going on with the the war and everything, I think it'd be good to talk about how our economy looked right before all this started. I think that's just a good kind of comparison point. As things play out, we can look back at that and say, okay, here's how things have changed. So right before the war, the most, so the big factors you typically look at as far as like gauging how our economy is doing, especially of late, a lot of people are paying attention to inflation. I looked at the most recent inflation numbers and as of February of 2022, the inflation rate is 7.9%. So there's probably like a touch of the war affecting that rate, but it's mostly, that's the 12 month average inflation. So it's 90 plus percent pre-war stuff. And in other words, all these changes associated with the war will not have come into play with that for the most part. So 7.9% 12-month inflation as of February, that's really high in the grand scheme of things. That's the highest since 1982. It's the highest I've, I was born in 83. So it's the highest since I've been alive. And that typically that's viewed as a negative. We talked about it in a episode a while back about inflation. So you can check that out if you want to understand that a little bit more. But most of the time it's viewed as a negative and it can be a huge negative. Now, if you're working and earning income and being responsible with your money and putting it in the right places, inflation should not be too big of a deal. Most of you listening have solid income, solid jobs, and maintaining a job is one of the best ways to ride the inflation roller coaster because as inflation goes up, you should be compensated more as a, as that rate increases. But either way, prior to all this new stuff kicking up, inflation was already really high. 7.9% is really high. Most people, especially like the economists and government people, argue that's mainly related to the, all the COVID stuff working its way through. And that probably is partially true. And the argument for most people argue that's going to be going down it's like a quick spike. So that 
time will tell whether or not that's accurate. But basically going into this big, huge new development with the war, inflation was already pretty high. Second big metric that I think is important to look at is unemployment. So unemployment as of February as well is actually 3.8%, which is extremely low. So that's generally viewed as a really good thing. And it's so that's pretty close to the low that we had right before the pandemic, which was a 50-year low. So basically, in the grand scheme, that unemployment rate is extremely low relative to historical rates. Obviously, that's a, a good thing because people are working and there's plenty of jobs, which is typically reflective of a solid economy. And in, actually, higher inflation is can also be reflective of a solid economy. It's tip. It's like an overheated economy. The higher inflation gets, that's because sometimes that's because there's such a high demand for things. But so unemployment was low, inflation was high, and as as a result of that and other things, the government has already announced that it's their plans to continue to increase interest rates, and that's to help. Part, a big part of that is to help keep the inflation numbers under control and kind of like cool off the economy a touch so that it doesn't get overheated. So that all came out. This has all come out before any of this war stuff even came up. The plan was to increase interest rates. And so what's happened also prior to the uh, war stuff is the stock market has generally been really good. Now, 2022 year to date, as of like the middle of February, it was not great. It started to go down ever since all this talk of inflation, maybe lasting longer and interest rates going up. The market has had some downturn. If I looked at the Vanguard total stock market, I like to look at that as like a gauge of the overall stock equity market in the US. And as of mid-February, it was like in the five to 10% down range depending on which days you look at. So that's like a modest downturn for stocks. That's not a huge downturn by any means. That's like a modest downturn. Definitely not great. But the, So the market has been down a little bit prior to the uh, war starting and, and, and whatnot. And I think most people would say that's due to the unemployment and, or I'm sorry, the due to the inflation being higher and the fact that interest rates are probably going to you know start going up. That's kind of like where we were at. Most economists would say our economy was extremely solid. Most people would argue we've recovered pretty well from the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of the, if I was to give like a snapshot as of mid-February or around the time of when the war started, that's the summary I would give as far as our economy. So now it's like just after we get through all this COVID mess of news, it's like that's finally starting to maybe slow down. All of a sudden we have this war and then it's so now that's all in the news and it's ter it's terrible. Nobody wants to see that happen. But it's definitely uh ramped the news cycle right back up again. So now that we have this, so we've added the this Ukraine Russian war on top of everything. So that started February 24th officially. There was a lot of talk about it before that's changing the game quite a bit. So it's the part that the news, I guess, for starters, it's a true war combat. That's the, that's the worst part of all of it. People are dying and that getting injured and destroying property. It's t 
terrible. That's the terrible part about it. And that's definitely happening. Now, that's mostly limited to Russia and Ukraine. There's a few other, there's countries sharing, helping out mostly Ukraine. The actual combat is for the most part limited to Russia and Ukraine, the the war itself. Uh, Now, what's been interesting about this particular engagement, this is not the first time this happened, but it's the it's the most aggressive situation as far as like economic adjustments. So the way I would look at it is it's, it's a combat war between just two countries. Russia's pretty big from a military standpoint. Ukraine is smaller. It's also an economic war. And it's, that's where that's massive. Uh, because so it, it's like potentially maybe the majority of the world. If you're looking economically, like all the big economic powers basically have gotten together and brought the hammer down on mainly Russia. It's definitely negatively affecting Ukraine's economy as well. But so that's, I look at that, that's like a economic war almost um, with all the sanctions and like limitations and not taking exports and not doing business and all that stuff. So that's much more expansive. It involves lots more countries and it's going to have a big potential ripple effect. So Russia and Ukraine are not huge players in the, if you look at like the overall economy, like as far as size of markets, they're not very big, they're very small, but they are really big players. If you look at the, a couple of sectors, the main sectors, if, the, if we look at energy and food, they are big players in that arena. So Russia, especially with like energy, they just have a lot of energy exports. Um, and food is another big one. I didn't realize until all this happened how much food both of those countries produce and export. And so what's happened with all this, all these sanctions and just the war in itself, plus all the other countries cutting ties and all that kind of stuff, exports of both energy and food have definitely decreased and potentially even stopped completely depending on the country we're talking about and the specifics. But basically, exports from Russia and Ukraine for energy and food have gone way down, and in some cases, maybe is zero. And so that has, and part of, a lot of that has been like proactively done by other countries. That's the part that's unique. There's always going to be some effect in a war in relation to their business and economic output. But in this case, all these countries are like, no, we're not ex- we're not going to take any Russian exports. We're cutting it off completely, especially for Russia. It's we're not doing business period with you. Um, and so what basically happens when that occurs, it definitely is kind of like a restricting on the economy that like Russia and Ukraine, they're going to have major economic challenges and potentially have a blow up, especially the longer this plays out. But it also affects the whole entire world because all the, all this stuff has become so globalized. So if I was to boil it down, simplify, it's like with energy, there's the price of energy is, and the price of most things is based on the supply, how much is available 
and then the demand or how many people are you know buying it or using it. So what happens when this kind of thing occurs and especially when they go above and beyond and put all these restrictions is that that basically stops a segment of the supply. And so it's when you have less supply, but demand stays the same, that will always result in prices going up. Same exact thing for food. When supply gets cut like overnight, and it's a pretty big chunk of the world supply, but when supply goes down and demand stays the same, which it you know should stay the same, then that will always mean prices will go up. And because of how globalized we are now, it's like a global price increase for both of those. That's a given. That's already happened. It's probably going to keep happening. Nobody knows exactly how it's going to play out, but that's the kind of immediate effect on that. So all this is played out really in a short period of time. You can see if you can see it firsthand if you go to like the gas station, gas prices are up, you'll start to see your heating bill or if you use gas in your house will go up. And and then eat food prices. What I was reading is they especially like wheat is an export from those areas and so food prices should be going up as well as a result of all this. And that's like I said that's all already starting to play out. And so the problem with that is that's going to compound inflation because really inflation is just, you know, when prices go up, that's what inflation is. And so if food and so food and energy are both slices of that inflation pie. And so if they're increasing, then that's going to further increase inflation. Basically, this has set the stage for kind of like a further, this is another additional factor that's probably going to keep inflation high or probably bump it up even a little bit, for sure in the food and energy categories. But a lot of people think it, it will bump, the net effect of all of it will be that inflation will be quite a bit higher even than what it is now. So that's so I'm starting to get into some of the future effects of all this. But as it stands today, it's we're still really early in. As, as I'm recording this, it's still very early in on this. But if we start to uh, guesstimate, I guess before I get into the future stuff, really with the future, everybody likes to predict the future, and but who knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. It's super easy to make predictions and most of the time people don't hold you accountable. So everybody loves to make predictions. People love to hear predictions, but I think it's important to realize at the end of the day, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, especially with things like this. This is like completely uncharted territory. There's this kind of thing is very different than situations in the past. You can't look back in history and find an exact example of this that played out exactly this way. And while I'm talking about that's how all these new economic seasons, they all have that same, that similarity in that it's, it seems like it's a, it's really a new situation that hasn't, there are some similarities from the past, but everything's changing and it's difficult to that further, that makes it even harder to predict the future, given that it's like 
a new sort of situation. That also is why a lot of times people get caught off guard and are not expecting it because they had just, people don't have a good bearing on how to act in this situation. So this is, so I think the way I would view it is we don't know what's going to happen and we're in uncharted territory. It could, it could be a rough patch even for our, you know, economy, but it could be short-lived and not so bad, but I don't. So as I talk about these potential future effects, I don't want you to think like this negative situation or positive situation. Don't assume one or the other just because we don't know. I do think it's helpful to think through them and keep an eye on it and that sort of thing. But ideally your planning is based on you and you've already built in like the fact that the future is unknown with this kind of stuff. Anyway, so as far as the future, I guess I could see like multiple things playing out. My hope would be that it like slowly starts to de-escalate or go the other direction and things die down and more there's more conversations and less just like shots in the dark ideally it's a de-escalation and things slow down and eventually it becomes less and less of a um of an issue i don't know how likely that is it doesn't seem that likely but that would be my hope and it's definitely possible another situation i could see happening would be that the economic war just continuing on and and maybe even ramping up I could see the economic. So I mentioned like at the be, at the beginning, like the fact this is unique in that how economically there's been so many sh- sanctions and changes to restrict Russia. And so I called it economic war. So that sort of thing, I could see even continuing to ramp up and maybe lasting as long as, or maybe even beyond the whole actual combat war. And maybe that's like the, the, that could be a huge factor in itself, almost like reverse globalization because globalization has been more like, has been the trend of all countries like being integrated. If that were to play out, I could see us taking some steps back on that. Or maybe it's, we have one global side economically and another global side economically. Maybe Russia has pairs up with some other countries to economically speaking stay afloat and maybe even throw some sanctions back the other direction or restrictions or whatnot. They have definitely means of being aggressive in the economic front as well. And who knows, I I just can see a scenario where this economic aspect continues and even increases. And it's like an economic war that, that drags out for a while. I have no idea how that would affect things because it's totally uncharted, but I view it as a reverse globalization. It's like we start to isolate sections and who knows how that affects the markets and and that sort of thing. And then there could be the just all out. This would be, I think, worst case scenario for sure. But if all the countries get involved with the actual combat, um, you have all out war between many countries. And so I think based on the trends right now, I think a lot of the big, like the US and the European countries are vowing not to get involved in the combat itself. And hopefully they don't, 
but I could see the this kind of creeping over borders, or especially if this expands to a different area, that would potentially change that overnight. Or if Russia starts to come back with attack on as a result of the economics. In other words, I, I could see Russia getting aggressive with combat in defense of the economic warfare. And I think there's been some like threats of that kind of thing on their end. Anyway, all out war, definitely worst case scenario. Nobody wants that, but there's, and I hope, I think that's probably the lesser uh, likely scenario and, but it's possible and who knows or along those lines. And, and this would not be as bad, near as bad as a all out war. We could have a kind of a repeat of the cold war type situation with just lots of threats and fear and that kind of thing. I don't know if that's as likely. I don't think that situation is likely either, but I, I think if I was to sum up like the future, I've said it already, there's just a lot of uncertainty and nobody really knows. So that's part of what has caused a lot of anxiety is just the fact that it's, it's so uncertain. As far as like actions to be thinking about as it relates to your situation, I think I'll hit on a few considerations and throw out some ideas. But first of all, diversification, I'm sure you've heard diversification. I've talked about this lots before, but the idea is just having your investments or your money in lots of different types of vehicles and places so that when one doesn't do well, you can offset it with something that is doing well and you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And so diversification has always been key, but it's especially key right now. And you can see why this is a good example of why it's so important. So for example, the average person owns Russian stocks, whether they realize it or not, like a lot of these international funds, especially like emerging markets funds, like an index fund, or really a lot of emerging market funds period own some, at least some share of Russian stocks. And so some are much higher than others. And so that Mar that slice of the pie is pretty much like going to, it's getting killed and the Russian stocks are getting killed and they're going way, way down. A lot of people think they might even, everything might go down to nothing like bankruptcy, that kind of thing. And, but definitely huge losses in Russia and potentially just total loss for Russian securities, which is definitely not good. Now, if you were, I don't know, hopefully none of you were in this situation, I could see someone maybe not realizing it, but having some like over-concentration in Russia. Maybe there was a fund that you owned that had like a aggressive or a, had a positive view on Russia or invested in Russian stocks. And so you, without realizing it, had a higher percentage or maybe with realizing it, you had a higher percentage of Russian securities. And so you're going to feel it a lot more. Whereas the average investor probably doesn't have a lot. If you're working with us, it's a very small piece of the pie to the point where it's like 1% or depending on your situation and that kind of thing, it's going to be a pretty small percentage of the total. 
just based on the fact that Russia has a pretty small economy. So that's the passive approach is you're basically owning based on the market cap of the given stock. And so Russia is a small, very small piece of the pie. And so therefore, if you're purely passive, you're going to own a very small piece of that pie. Um, but you're also going to own all kinds of other countries. Russia is not doing very well, but most of the other countries are doing well. So that's helpful. So I think that's diversif diversification is key. And if you're not aware of, uh, it wouldn't hurt to take a look at like the international funds you have. And ideally, I'm a fan of passive investing. So that's going to be much more diversified. But if you have emerging markets funds, that are especially ones that are not passive, or if you own just a lot of emerging market funds, that would be something to look at is because you're, there's a chance you have a much higher concentration in Russia, which could cause lower returns over this period of time. So main takeaway though, diversif diversification is key. This is just a, one of many examples of why it's key. The other big thing to think about is just staying the course really. But, but I think it's, what's interesting is the temptation as things get worse is to make changes. Cause it's like, why, if something's broken, I need to fix it. So the temptation is to fix things or change course. That's just how people work. But in reality, when things happen, when things get dicey or uncertain, that's actually the most important time to stay the course and not change things, like not tinker with things. That's about the worst possible time to tinker with things. And so now more than ever is especially important time to stay the course, follow your plan, like focus on your goals and values and your investment plan and all that sort of stuff that's already been established. Hopefully is that this sort of thing this is when it becomes especially important. And this is when it's is, is key to follow that because it'll, it gets emotional and it feels broken and you're going to be potentially very tempted to make changes. Now more than ever, it's especially important to focus on your situation, your goals. Now it's, I'm not saying to like not pay attention to external factors in the news, unless you just don't want to pay attention to it. But I, I think it's good to have some awareness of what's going on, but you don't want to get in the situation where these external factors that are really at the end of the day, out of our control, we don't want to, you don't want to get in the situation where those external factors that are out of your control are causing you to make changes. Changes should be based more on your situation or your goals. And for instance, like when we're helping people put their finance, get their finances in order, like we're already building in this assumption that these kinds of things happen. And so that's why we tell people like diversification is important. That's why we tell people like buying individual stocks is risky. That's why we tell people have an emergency fund work. That's why insurance is important. We're already building in like these protective measures, because inevitably these things will always happen. And it's more about having that worst case scenario backup plan in place, no matter when they happen. 
we don't know when it's going to get really bad. So you just have to assume it could happen any day. And so a good financial plan has all the, has cut, has thought through or considered a lot of these risks and worst case scenarios, which will, should further give you confidence to be able to just focus in on what's your goal, what's most important to you and not make these changes due to these external factors. So take away there, stay the course now more than ever. Another thing to think about, you know, energy use, I think is going to be energy prices are going to have gone up. will potentially continue to go way up. How efficient is your house? Does your house, my house just, we have old windows and it just pours the hot air or the cold air pours in the winter and the hot air pours in the summer. It's this kind of thing as energy prices go up and there's this crunch with energy, it's going to make me think a little harder about maybe we ought to get rid of this energy inefficiency we have, or maybe things like solar panels, like that's a way to reduce your reliance on electricity um, or energy in general. And so that can be a way to help lessen your reliance on that segment and potentially this doesn't have as much of an effect or even electric cars. If you had, for example, right now, if you have electric car solar in your house and your house is pretty efficient, I mean, that you're not going to have, you're not going to be feeling these gas prices and uh, oil gas prices and inner natural gas and gas gasoline and natural gas prices going up. You're going to, I'm sure there'll be some small effects, but you will not fear it, feel it near as much as the average person. And then public transportation, that's always a way to reduce that energy reliance. And then food, I don't know how much you can do about this, but I would expect food prices to be higher. And I think what I was reading is especially like wheat is a big export from um, that area. I would think that category of food, I know a lot of stuff is made with wheat, but I would expect that segment to go up more than others. And then I think the last big thing would be, I think now is an excellent time to, if you are charitable or you want to give, or you already give, I think this is a good time, great time to, to potentially give to some people. Cause that's unfortunately the loser in all this, like I'm talking about all these economic things sitting in my office and it's sunny and I'm not worried about any not worried about gunshots or my life, all, everything's good here. And hopefully that's the case for most of you all, but the people that really are getting the brunt of this are the people in Ukraine and Russia. And I say Russian people as well. When I say, I, I think the governments and the leadership is what's driving a lot of these things, but the Russian, yeah, I think I would hope that the average Russian person is a good, generally good person. And unfortunately, they are going to feel huge negative effects from this. And unfortunately, a lot of the big leader uh, wealth in control in those countries will be able to avoid a lot of the pain as part of the problem. And so average, uh, average people in Ukraine and, and uh, Russia, I think they're going to feel the brunt of this. And if you want to help 
people that are struggling now is better time than ever. And so what I would suggest if you if you start to go down that path, I think it's a good idea to do a little homework on it. You don't want to overanalyze things, but ideally it's a 501c3 that's established and has some financial information and you can get an idea of where the money's going and maybe they have some information and some reviews and stories and that kind of thing. I would be a little hesitant or a lot hesitant to give to like individuals unless there's some sort of personal relationship established. It's just, I think also this kind of situation can increase the number of like scams too. So, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm sure some jerk out there is like trying to come up with a a way to benefit from this and they'll come up with some scheme that's intended or they say is going to help out. So keep, you have to, I know that sounds like super skeptical, but that's reality. And so you got to keep an eye out for those sorts of things and look at the, do a little homework on it before you just start writing checks. So I think those are some of the big actions to, to keep in mind. I think the main thing is not making emotional decisions, staying the course and doing what you can, keeping an eye on things. Um, hopefully things, hopefully this all goes more that direction of fizzling out. That would be best case scenario. Hopefully fizzle out by the time you're listening to this, that would be, I would be, so hopefully this is worthless <laughs> and it's all gone away by the time you're listening to this. I don't know. I unfortunately think that's unlikely, but um, we can hope for that. Hope this has been helpful. Hopefully we don't have to dig into this topic again in the future, but if things keep going, we'll definitely circle back to this because I know it's a big story. Hope you have a great rest of your day and look forward to catching up with you next time. For more information about alternative investments and asset management, Visit EckerdEnterprises.com. And remember, Eckerd Enterprises is your gateway to tangible assets and lasting financial success. Visit Eckerd today. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting you can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.